0: In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry Rowland. And uh, this is stuff you should know. The podcast. It's the bomb. <laughs> it is. Not the bomb, the bomb, even. <laughs> That's right.
0: So. Um, Bad pun.
1: It was, but it was okay. It worked for this one.
0: Have you heard. Go ahead. Gonna go I was going to say, you know what didn't work for this one? Was this. The intro? Long intro, which was a nice story, but. Has nothing to nothing do with into it. it. No. So, I would like to cover that though at some point.
1: Yeah, it's a true story. Let's leave it a secret. Yeah, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, had you heard of Operation Plowshare before? No. So, guys, there's this really awesome Slate article, um, about Operations Plowshare. It's a, it's actually, a, um, an excerpt from a book. I can't remember what the book is called, but, um, it was on Slate. It's worth checking out. <clears throat> but just look up Operation Plowshare and Slate. This guy goes into it's actually called "What Could Go Wrong." It's by Ed Regis. Bam. Um, I knew who that is that it's a guy who wrote a book on Operation Plowshare,
0: and they excerpted it on Slate. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's like you know somebody important like Brian Gumble.
1: No, I was bamming like my own like oh, okay. how quick I got the answer that I was looking for. Gotcha. I was able to stall without coming off as stalling while I found the answer. <laughs> I understand. I was just kind Self, of proud of myself. Self bamming. Yeah. So. um I've heard about this when, when I read that article, but I hadn't heard about it before. Yeah. But Operation Plowshare was basically this idea that we could use all of these surplus, huge atomic bombs that were laying around for civil engineering projects, basically. Yeah. That to, we had. To move Earth. Yeah. That we had at our disposal developed in World War II, this incredible explosive capacity to, yeah, like, why not use it to move Earth? You, we, we could use a, a, a canal. Let's make one.
0: Yeah, why bring 100 bulldozers in for months and months and man hours when we can just drop a bomb and have a big hole? Right, exactly. Or, weirdly,
1: it makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. Here's the problem with it, though. It's insane because yeah. to to use this successfully, you have to... Literally ignore radioactive fallout from nuclear blasts. Yeah. There's just no way around it.
0: Yeah, but this was a time where they were they were blasting bombs up in the way up high in the sky. They were blasting it, well, as you'll see, underground. Well, these cats
1: knew what was going on. It was the public that wasn't hip to it yet.
0: Well, sure. You know? But, I mean, there was little regard, I think. Yes. I mean, they dropped them on people.
1: Yeah, that's, that's how a, little regard they had. <laughs> it's pretty little regard, You sure. know, That's yeah. Japan. Yeah. So the that, that that's that's a really great point that you bring up. Um after Japan, this idea of using um nuclear bombs for peaceful civil engineering projects um led to the title of this Operation, the name of this operation, Operation Plowshare, based on that, I think it's an Old Testament thing about beating your swords into plowshares so that you're, you're using things not for war, you're using technology not for war and to harm other people, but to further humanity through technology.
0: Yeah, they lifted the name straight from uh, the book of Isaiah in the Bible. So, um, very clever title.
1: And supposedly the legend goes that there's a physicist named Isidore Isaac Robbie. Um, And he said, so you want to beat your old atomic bombs into plowshares, huh? And they went, Robbie, (laughs) you did it again.
0: Uh, So should we talk a little bit about what led up to this uh, idea? Um, It's something called the, uh, well, have you heard of the Suez Canal? Once or twice. Have you heard of the Suez Crisis? Uh, No, I hadn't actually. Had you? I had heard of it, but I didn't know much about any of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the Suez Crisis is what preceded this idea. Uh, and it goes a little something like this. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: 1956, um, the uh, American government and the British government were starting to get, um, well, for a couple of years, they had been a little bit annoyed with Egypt. Um, specifically their president, Colonel Gamal Abdel Nassar or Nasser. Nasser. And, um. I think it's Nasser. We'll go with Nasser. Okay. And he had been cozying up to the Soviet Union, um, kind of getting weapons funneled through Czechoslovakia and they were, they were arming his, uh, his, the Egyptian army. And it was, you know, we're talking about the Cold War, so people were getting a little annoyed by it.
1: They were, because Egypt had been formerly first world because it was not only allied with the British, it was under British imperial rule yeah. until the early 50s. And um a military coup basically threw off the British shackles, but not immediately and not necessarily in the most bloody manner. The the British ended up hammering out a timeline where they left um Egypt, right?
0: Yeah, but the Brits were, I mean, for a couple of years at this point, uh, in 1956, Egypt was still trying to get Britain to end their military presence around the canal.
1: Right. And then uh, in at the beginning of July 1956, the last British troops left the Suez Canal. And on July 16th, Nasser said, oh, we're nationalizing the Suez Canal. See you later, everybody. It's ours.
0: Yeah. And that was a little bit in retaliation for um, the U.S. and England and Britain pulling out of our promise to help them finance their uh, Aswan Dam project. Yeah. So it's sort of like... There's a lot of back-and-forth sniping, like, oh, yeah, you're not going to finance this? Yeah. Well, I'm going to nationalize the canal Yeah. now that you guys aren't here anymore.
1: And I'm friends with the Soviets now.
0: And they're giving us weapons. Yeah. So that was a big deal.
1: And not only was it a big deal because there was a lot of geopolitical maneuvering going on, it was a big deal to, to uh, Britain because the British Empire was very much in decline. Um, it had just been bombed to holy heck, even though it had come out on the successful side during World War II. And because of World War II, America kind of came out as like the new big kid on the block, the the kind of tough bully in charge, basically. And this was happening as America was ascending at the same time uh, Great Britain was declining. And the british ego was a little um touchy at the time so it assaulted the british empire's ego for, for the one but it also had a more practical problem and that was that dam was important yeah the it, uh, not the dam the uh, canal
0: yeah the canal was it, it obviously controlled uh a lot of trade in the middle east uh specifically the oil supply um and it wasn't just uh britain it was france as well right uh they actually ran the suez canal company even though Brit, the Brits were the large, the British government specifically mm. was the biggest stakeholder in that company until it was nationalized. It was run by a French company and they were also exposed. It, you know, basically Britain and France were both kind of exposed. Like, you know, Egypt stood up to them. Right. Exactly. And they were like, wait a minute. They were like, Egypt shouldn't be standing up to us. <laughs> we're, you know, we're Britain. Exactly. We're great Britain. Exactly. Uh, so there was egg on the face of, uh, or I guess, uh, omelets. Or, wait. Uh, crepes. Crepes on the face. Yes. Of France. Yes. And eggs on the face of Britain. Right. Because they eat eggs. Yeah. But with, like, toast and pork and beans, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, the British and the French have
1: egg all over their face, and they um, decide that they're going to do something about this. Now, they don't technically invade Egypt themselves, Right. What they do is they go to Israel and they say, you guys should probably invade Egypt, don't you
0: think? Yeah, like you guys have been battling Egypt already on the border. What's one more invasion? Yeah.
1: So they they got Israel to invade basically as a means of setting themselves up, the French and the British, of sending troops in to act as peacekeepers.
0: That's – man. Yeah, it sounded like – all three of them. I don't think they like snowed Israel. I think they were all three right. on this plan.
1: Yeah, that's the impression I have, too.
0: So basically, they said, you guys attack on October 26, 1956. Uh, we're going to call for a ceasefire, but we'll be in there a couple of days later. Don't you worry. Right.
1: And that's actually a very post-imperial maneuver. Had it been imperial, they would have just been like, uh, these guys are brown and they're yeah. rising up, so we're going to invade. That's totally fine, isn't it, rest of the West? Right. And the rest of the West would have been like, sure, sure. But this was post-imperial. They had to do some maneuvering. They sent Israel in. They came in as peacekeepers afterward. And remember, America now is the big kid on the block, and there's such a thing as a UN. And America went to the UN and went, what is that? They can't do that. What the Lane said, we condemn this.
0: They basically acted without telling the US, which really rubbed uh the American government the wrong way. So they and and by this time, well it was initially successful. They they took control of the Suez Canal. The uh Israeli the, French the, British thing? Yeah, yeah. The force did. So it worked. But then the Soviets got involved and they said, You know what? Khrushchev said, I'm gonna start raining down nuclear bombs on your head. Uh because this is a big issue. So the U.S. said, I don't like any of this. I'm going to threaten sanctions against all the countries involved.
1: All of you. Time out. Yeah. Go in the corner.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> and when Khrushchev said, I'm going to rain bombs down on you guys around the canal.
0: It worked. Yes, it did. Um, it actually ended the Suez crisis, right? Like really quickly. Like at the end of October is when the invasion took place. And in December is when France and Britain withdrew. So it was like six weeks.
1: Yeah, that's pretty quick.
0: And then in March, uh, Israel withdrew, and it was all over. And the Soviets were able to puff their chest out, and you know, say, it, it, you know, a nuclear threat worked. And you guys know how well nuclear bombs work. Yeah. Because you did it.
1: And the British went back and drowned their sorrows in a pint of bitter, <laughs> and the French went back and uh... drank wine. Sure, sure. I was going to say Grey Goose vodka. Oh, uh, wouldn't that be the Soviets? No, because Grey Goose is made in France.
0: Oh, well sure. I just hear vodka and i mean, I know. Oh.
1: That's what that's a lot of people in France had that same reaction. <laughs> so um Chuck, somebody said, I think you said Khrushchev said, I'm gonna rain bombs down on you, nuclear bombs down on this canal, on all of you. And um that must have struck an American physicist because at some point somebody said, You know what? raining bombs down with canals it's not a bad idea it might make a larger canal exactly so in a very strange way the suez crisis actually helped lead to operation plowshare and we'll go into that right after this how about that
0: All right, so uh, the Suez Crisis was still going on in November 1956, and it's a brief window that it was still uh, active. And uh, a dude named Herbert York, he was the director of the Lawrence Radiation Laboratory in Livermore, uh, and he was a nu- uh, nuclear scientist, and he said, you know what, uh, what Josh Clark said before the break was right. <laughs> right. He's, he always follows me around. <laughs> he says, maybe we can use nuclear weapons to move a lot of earth. And they got the name, as we said earlier, from the book of Isaiah mm-hmm. and took it to the Atomic Energy Commission. And they said, this is a great idea. Let's yeah. try it.
1: Yeah. They had a meeting and, and just brought people together and said, Hey, all of you guys, um, let's, uh, let's figure out a, a better way to use these things. There's yeah. a lot of projects we want to do. So let's, let's, Pretend like the pie's in the sky and we'll all shoot for it. Isn't that the old saying? <laughs> I think so. Um, so they all got together and, um, started thinking, putting their heads together. And again, the U.S. and, um, the Soviets and Great Britain, uh, and then France as well, I believe, are all just test- testing nukes all over the place, all sure. the time. But they're testing nukes, um, throughout this era, throughout the 50s and 60s and, uh, 70s too, I guess. Um, to basically figure out how to make a better nuclear weapon. Yeah. What Operation Plowshare was, it was different. It was using these nuclear detonations to study things that could be used for like industrial applications. And one of the first tests like this was called uh, the Rainier shot, which was actually a part of a larger operation called
0: Bob, which is pretty great. All the names when you read them out, are pretty funny. Right. Yeah.
1: And the Rainier shot, which is the one nuclear test in a larger program, um, was the first first fully contained underground nuclear test. Yeah. That means that none of the nuclear fallout escaped into the atmosphere. And it was a pretty big deal because it showed that you could do this. And they also were looking at whether it was basically a proof that you could use nuclear bombs for underground engineering projects.
0: Yeah. And it... uh it went so well, in fact, that the AEC, the Atomic Energy Commission, which approved the project to begin with, said, you know what? We're not even going to hide this one. We, we can actually talk about it in right. the press. Yeah. Like, we're proud of this, basically.
1: They did. Um, and so, actually, Rainier was, again, it was part of Operation Plumb Bob. It wasn't part of Plowshare, but it was basically a proof of concept that this could happen um, and that you could just kind of study these explosions for things like, um, you know... Uh, Industrial uses. Yeah, it was their sizzle reel. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So um, the problem was that the nuclear weapons you would be using for a civil engineering project were really basically the same thing as the nuclear weapons that you would be using as weapons that are extraordinarily highly classified and just couldn't be given to civilian companies for testing and use. So the government, the Atomic Energy Commission and um, the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories and all of those guys, um, they had to carry out the tests themselves to make sure that they – they basically kept a lid on it before handing the technology over to the civilian sector. Right. And they did. And that was where Ploughshare officially came from. And it started at a really bad time, actually.
0: Yeah. I mean, they weren't uh, long. I think it started in the summer of 57. Uh, and in March 1958, uh, Khrushchev said, you know what? Uh, Nyet. <laughs> right. No more testing of nukes. Yeah. For us. Yeah. Which put pressure on the U.S., but Eisenhower didn't. He wanted to cease testing, too, but he didn't feel like he could, you know, be the first one to do that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the rest of the people in the United States would think he's a big wuss. Isn't that interesting, though, that
1: Khrushchev and Eisenhower both wanted to stop yeah. nuclear testing? and Totally. neither one of them had the support at home for it?
0: Yeah. So it took Khrushchev to start it. So then Eisenhower said, well, now we can stop. And there was uh, a moratorium on nuclear testing for a while.
1: Yeah. Um But... The nuclear, uh, physicists who were involved in Operation Plowshare were like, this isn't gonna last very long. The Cold War is just too, too cold. And as a matter of fact, a series of events led to the end of that moratorium within, I think, two years. Or was it 1958 that the moratorium started?
0: Uh, yeah, March 1958. So
1: then, I, th- I think it might have been three years. Yeah, three years later, um, the U.S. and the Soviets started squabbling about West Berlin and the Berlin Wall, which was one of my all-time favorite episodes that I always forget about when people ask, like, what's one of your favorite yeah. episodes? That's definitely one of them. That was yeah. fascinating. It was a good one. Um, and then uh, they also started squabbling about the um, shooting down of a U-2 spy plane in 1960.
0: Yeah, that really, like, puffed up everyone's chest, obviously. Right. Um, and so in September 1961, they said... I think it was Khrushchev, again, was the first one to say, remember when I said "yet"? Mm-hmm. now I'm saying whatever the Soviet word for Da. Yes. Is it da? Da. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start testing again. And so then the U.S., of course, said, well, we'll start testing again.
1: Right. And, and actually, Operation
0: Plowshare, they had... Gone into serious pre production. Right. Because, like you said, they knew it wasn't going to last. Yeah. So they just started planning all the things they would do once they got these bombs back.
1: Yeah, they had some downtime and they wanted to be able to be shovel ready when the moratorium was lifted on nuclear bomb yeah. explosions. And by right? shovel, you mean atom bomb. Right, exactly. So um, Edward Teller had gotten his other his people together and said, start thinking about this stuff. And some of the ideas that had come up with were you, they were going to blow a channel. Through the uh, Kapinga Marangi Reef in the Marshall Islands. I think I actually said that correctly. Kapinga Merangi, yeah. Thanks, man.
0: I, I I support that.
1: So they were going to use a nuclear weapon yeah. to blow up a live coral reef off the Marshall Islands. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how devastated <laughs> that area is just from the stuff they did do there. That's where we did so much of our Pacific nuclear testing.
0: I can't imagine what – has anyone ever done a lot of studying on Nevada? Nevada? Excuse me. Not Nevada.
1: No, it's Nevada.
0: (laughs) But Nevada, like, I think ninety percent of these plowshare tests took place in Nevada.
1: Yes. And there's gotta be like Nevada's been
0: rained down with nukes. Right. Underground, all over the place. Yeah. As testing ground. Right. Not just Nevada, but I think they've were definitely like, you know, took the lion's share of the abuse. For sure. I'm just curious.
1: I'm sure they've done tests, and I'm sure they're just like when the results come in. Maybe that's why they don't the know carpet. how to pronounce
0: their own state's name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, anytime we say Nevada, we get 18 emails, uh-huh. at least, from people who live in Nevada telling us kind of firmly yeah. that we're saying it wrong and please say it right from now on.
0: Yeah, they say it's Nevada, and my response is always the same. I was like, we know, but you should know that only people from Nevada say it that way. Right. Right. Everyone else says Nevada. Yeah. Nevada. And now we'll get emails from <laughs> yeah. one, two, three, six more people yeah. that say, I don't even live there. And I say it right. Yeah. We poke fun. We should do a show in Vegas one day. Sure. No, we should have our own theater in Vegas one day.
1: Yeah, we should. We should have like, um, a one of those like,
0: yeah, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. Like Britney Spears. Yeah. We can get, uh, who is that, uh, guy that sings like all the impressions? Rich Little. No, the singer Danny something. Danny K. <laughs> I can't remember his name. who are you talking about? He's a dude. He's got a big act in Vegas where he just you know he's like now I'm Frank Sinatra, now I'm Bruce Springsteen. now I'm Billy Joel. Well, those are terrible impressions well um I'm, I'm not the great Danny uh oh Danny Gans i
1: that sounds familiar wow man. i uh I thought you were so good at impressions that you were doing an impression of Danny no. Gans' <laughs> bad impressions. No I think he's he's supposed to be pretty good
0: I've, yeah, I think that name's right. You don't get your own theater in Vegas unless you're no top notch buddy way. You gotta be Danny
1: Gans or Britney Spears,
0: yeah, or uh, David Copperfield. Oh yeah, got made a jet disappear, and the Statue of Liberty. Let's not forget, yeah, just gone. Uh, No trickery either, no camera tricks. He literally made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I know. (laughs) I just said Liberty. Where were we? I have no idea. Operation Plowshare. Uh, <laughs> oh,
1: we were talking, I know, Chuck, we were talking about all the insane projects that Edward Teller, yes. father of the H-bomb, and wow. his crew um, came up with during the downtime, during the moratorium. Correct, sir. So there's blowing a channel in the Kapinga Morangi Reef off the Marshall Islands.
0: Yes. How about a new harbor in Alaska? Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute.
1: Yeah, that was a big
0: one. It was a big one.
1: Making canals. And not just canals, sea-level canals, because um, we did a, an episode on the Panama Canal, and one of the issues, I guess you could call it, with the Panama Canal, is that there are a series of locks as part of the canal that basically are steps for ships to go up and down a mountain range. It's genius. Sea-level canals are where you blow a flat line yeah. all the way through anything that gets in the way from sea to shining sea, so that the... The entire canal is at sea level, so a ship can just go, Yeah, bam. So that's what they're looking at, sea level canal excavation using nuclear bombs.
0: Yeah, they were going to call that the, it was either that one or the widening of the Panama Canal, the Panatomic Canal. Mm -hmm. It's like, come on, that's way too cute. Yeah, well, everybody was blitzed on martinis at this (laughs) time. That's true. Alright, well let's take a quick break and then we will pick back up with the restarting of Operation Plowshare in December of 1961. Alright Josh, it's December 1961 as promised. Liar! If you are in Carlsbad, New Mexico, you might want to take a weekend away to Nevada. And go uh, work on a healthy glow? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, because if you live near there, uh, they had something called Operation Gnome, codenamed Gnome. And that was a three kiloton blast. And this one, it seemed like... Hold on, Tuck. Do you remember that huge
1: coffee table book that was an illustrated guide to the life of gnomes? It was big in like the, the late 70s, early 80s. No. Man, Never I grew up one. with this. Really? It was wonderful. That's all I have to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I I thought for sure you're gonna be like, yes.
0: No. Sorry. I gotta
1: find hopefully my dad still has it at his house. I really hope he does because I want to get my hands on it. What's the deal with gnomes? Why are people so into that? They're just cute and they're helpful and uh they hang out around psychedelic mushrooms as like, you know, that's where oh. they hang out under shade and stuff. So you know they're cool. Right. Gotcha.
0: Um, so they set off, uh, the bomb in Operation Gnome, and, uh, they had a few objectives here. They wanted to see how much heat it produced, mm-hmm. uh, what kind, you know, is it going to cause an earthquake? Let's measure the seismic activity. Right. Uh, they wanted
1: to see if they could generate steam to use in turbines for electricity, yeah. basically setting off elect or, um, nuclear bombs.
0: Yeah, but they kind of, what they kind of really wanted to do was see how big of a hole they could create. Kind of.
1: And again, um, this one was also underground and I think they blew it in, uh, Carlsbad. Yeah. In a salt mine, right? And they basically just loosened, created a huge cavity underground in the salt mine and loosened up a bunch of salt. Neat. They said, wow, that, that really worked. And actually, Gnome was the first, uh, actual plowshare test. Yeah. Everything else had been kind of laying the groundwork for it before then. So that, Gnome went really well and everybody's like, this is great.
0: Let's do it again. So July 6, 1962, uh, we just celebrated uh, the 4th of July. So let's celebrate again by setting off uh, <laughs> a 104-kiloton bomb in the Nevada desert. Uh, and, it, man, this thing was huge. A 437-yard-in-diameter uh, hole that was 109 yards deep.
1: Right, it's actually the largest man-made crater in America. Huge. It's, it's a na- it's re- it's on the register of national historic places cuz obviously it's still there. It's like Tahoe now. <laughs> actually, that's funny. <laughs> the Soviets developed their own similar program a few years after the Americans called the Nuclear Explosions for the National Economy program. And they blew up, a, they created a crater lake in Kazakhstan with one of their explosions. Oh, really? So it has been done, but with this one, it's a, a dry crater, the one from the uh, sedan test, right?
0: Yeah, I cannot hear the word Kazakhstan without thinking of Borat. Yeah, that's
1: where Borat's from.
0: And I watched uh, the other night, I came home after a late night out, that's all I'll say, and uh, Borat was on, mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I found myself watching it and laughing as if it was the first time i'd seen it. It will hold up forever. Was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, i love that character. So um the sedan test? Yeah.
1: They use so, so again, 104 kiloton kiloton bomb. Kilo, kilo, <laughs> you didn't say it right either time. Kilo kiloton yeah. What is wrong with me? I don't know. Anyway, um the one from the gnome blast was three kiloton. Yeah. They so really it, it up. was huge. And you were talking about Nevada getting like fallout and all that, Chuck. Yeah. This this explosion was so huge and it released so much radioactivity into the atmosphere that apparently they have done some calculations and they figured out that this bomb alone, this test alone, released seven percent of all the fallout from all the tests. In Nevada combined, ever. Wow. It was huge, and it went everywhere. It went up into Iowa. It went to the Northeast. It was everywhere. Unbelievable. And they were like, uh, let's try it again.
0: <laughs> yeah, they did move 12 million tons of dirt, uh, which was the objective. Um, th- again, I sort of see where they're going, and if there wasn't nuclear fallout... It'd be great. If it was just a bunker buster that could do that kind of dirt moving... It would be great. Well, not great, because you're still wrecking wildlife in the ecosystem.
1: They can find somewhere else to live.
0: <laughs> uh but you're right. They did say it went great. So let's move on to Operation Buggy. Uh that's they they wanted to string together a chain of nuclear bombs. Right. What's it's, it like called? They, it's like they started smoking weed one night <laughs> and said, "Hey, dude, what else can we do?" Right. You know? Like yeah. like Beavis and Butthead. Right. And they said, "All right, let's let's link these some bombs together." Like some black cats. Yeah, let's get five of them and see if we can make a channel instead of a big hole.
1: It's a nuclear road charge, basically, is what it was. It's the one and only that the U.S. ever conducted. And, um, again, I I guess it worked. Five one-kiloton bombs detonated simultaneously. That must have been a heck of a thing to see.
0: Yeah, and then, of course, those dopes, they're always standing somewhere nearby, like behind a lead shield.
1: Right, and then they turn and look at the camera. Yeah. And then their (laughs)
0: teeth fall out. Wasn't
1: that a sentence?
0: I think so. Um, and we're laughing. It's not funny. The Simpsons are hilarious. Oh, okay. Well, they were. Gotcha. Uh, one of the other things they were looking to do here, uh, is what we know now is fracking.
1: Yeah. And this is actually like the likeliest thing you could have used a nuclear bomb for as far as like civilian projects go.
0: Yeah. But far less precise is fracking to say the least.
1: Yeah. So, you know, fracking is where you basically. Explode some oil that's locked up in shale. Yeah. Or natural gas or something like that so that you can get to it more easily. Um, but they use it with hydraulic pressure these days, not nuclear bombs. Right. It's a little more surgical. Right. It's, it's amazing that fracking could get even worse. But sure, if yeah. you apply a nuclear bomb to it, it makes everything worse, basically.
0: Yeah. They call it, they called it then gas stimulation, which, um, I have ten jokes. I'm not going to say anything. Sure, of them. I think that's a that's good. Yeah, uh, and that actually turned out to be one of the more promising aspects of the whole program, right. uh, because that could generate money.
1: It could, and there were actually corporate sponsors on the the that project. Of course. Um, the problem is, is they found out later on that when you use a nuclear bomb to um, loosen up gas mm-hmm. underground locked in rock or whatever um, it taints it with tritium actually and you it renders it basically unusable and they figured out that even if you w- could do it without tritium yeah what are you laughing about I can't say it out loud um, then you you would still be wasting tons and tons and tons of money they figured out
0: yeah I mean things became they found out cheaper ways to to uh, Get these resources right over the years, yeah. And so they said non-nuclear yeah, ways, exactly, safer and cheaper.
1: Yeah, and they and actually through this um this investigation in the gas stimulation, which one was that? Uh, was that buggy?
0: I think yeah, buggy.
1: Okay, um, no, sorry, buggy was the uh, row charge one. Oh, right. I'm not sure what the what the that one was called where they looked into it, but um. But for the gas stimulation project, they figured out that they had poured $82 million into it by the time it was over, just that one program, and that it would take 25 years of continuous gas production from these sources just to make back 40% of that.
0: Yeah. So they're like, well, this isn't adding up at all. That's probably the only reason they stopped It's because it didn't financially make sense.
1: Well, that and then also like it was tainting the natural gas with tritium, which made it unusable.
0: Uh, so this testing went on for twelve years uh under plowshare uh twenty seven experiments thirty five bombs um uh, most of those in Nevada, like I said, and then in nineteen seventy three uh it finally stopped but um the big daddy hadn't happened yet, yeah, you want to talk about a couple more of these jobs, yeah, for sure, these jobs um carry all operation carry all was gonna move i, I forty. Like this one. yeah he said, you know what that highway should move through that mountain range in southern California so yeah. let's just blow a, a valley 2 miles long through it. We're Americans. Why should we drive around
1: mountains? We'll just blow right through them pretty much. And they not only were they going to move I-40 through it, they were also going to move a couple of rail lines through it too. Yeah. Um and this one did they they didn't do this one. This was proposed, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't think they No, of course yeah, this would have
1: been that. enormous. So remember that- um, 22
0: bombs they were going to use in total for that one. Right.
1: And then remember the one, uh, uh, which one was it, Sedan, which yeah. had 7% of the fallout from all the bombs in Nevada? That one was 104 kilotons, right? Yeah. Operation Carryall planned to use 22 nuclear devices, ranging in payloads from 20 to 200
0: kilotons. Each? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It takes a lot of nukes to blow up a mountain, my friend.
1: Right. And they were going to blow uh, about uh, f- 68 million cubic yards of Earth. That's what they were planning to blow out of there. Wow. It's really, really fortunate for everybody anywhere near that area that they didn't actually try this.
0: Yeah. the boy, you sure would be able to drive from Arizona to L.A. quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly quicker. I uh, actually don't know if that's the area, but that's my best guess. How about, how about... I-40? Yeah, probably. Maybe. I would guess. Or, I'm not sure. I think I-40, well, I'm going to be wrong no matter what I say. From Santa Barbara to Kansas. <laughs> From Milan to Minsk. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so Operation Chariot was sort of the big daddy, um, or one of the big daddies. This is when uh, the United States said, Alaska, congratulations, you're a state. Now we're going to drop nuclear bombs Mm -hmm. in an area the size of Delaware to see if it works. Let's do it. That was sort of the reason. I mean, they they said apparently there was some sort of military advantage, but I think it was nonspecific.
1: Uh, You could just get weapons close to the Soviets, I guess, because we're talking Alaska, and you can see Alaska from Sarah Palin's house, right? That's right. So obviously, if if you have a means of getting... Into, further into the Arctic Circle. Oh, uh, okay. By blowing a harbor up, then
0: why like, not? Well, creating a harbor. Right. That's what they were going to do, right? Yeah. They, they said, we would like a nice body of water here. So your your state, congratulations. Here, we're going to rain nukes down on you. Right. And some of the local uh, tribes there, uh-huh. it wasn't heavily populated, but uh. they were like, I, I don't like this idea. Right. There two, we live here. Two different
1: villages that were inhabited. Yeah that were uh, within 40 miles of the site, and um, it actually, the land was under the control of the Bureau of Land Management, I believe, but these uh, Inuit groups had, like, real rights to this area and had a real say in it, and they were, like, not happy with this idea at all.
0: Yeah, and other people jumped on board, the Audubon Society and all kinds of, you know, uh, environmental rights groups.
1: But Edward Teller, again, he's the father of the H bomb, he wrote in um Popular Mechanics in I think March of nineteen sixty one, very excitedly about this project. He said that um it was going to use in a ma in a matter of milliseconds the energy will move 20 million tons of earth and rock, blast out a channel 1,800 feet long and 750 feet wide, at the same time create an inner harbor a quarter of a mile wide and a half a mile long. Minimum water depth will be around 30 feet. And they were just going to do that in a matter of milliseconds, <laughs> just create a, a, um artificial harbor. And it sounds cool and everything, but when you really look at, like, why are you doing this? No one had a really good explanation. Yeah. Uh, Teller in that same article said there's vast oil and coal reserves. They're just waiting to, to, for people to show up with boats to take it out of. He left out the fact that it's actually behind ice nine months of the year. Right. So it wouldn't be very easy to, um, to uh, industrialize. Yeah. Um, and there was just holes in this plan bigger than the harbor they were going to create. Yeah, we're
0: gonna we're gonna put water and fish with five eyes. Right, exactly. <laughs> Another Simpsons reference. Yeah, Blinky. What was it five eyes, four eyes, three, three eyes? Blinky the fish. I guess anything more than one is enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, or more than two. Well, yeah, it's one on each side.
1: That's I got gotcha. you. Yeah, Blinky. We just mauled him.
0: Yeah. Um So the the first idea for chariot was two point four megatons, <laughs> and then they even. They knew that was ridiculous and they said, All right, how about 400? Uh, what'd you call it? A kiloton?" Yeah, <laughs> a cl- a, <laughs> a kiloton. And, uh, but thankfully, um, there was enough hay raised in Alaska. They said, We're a brand new state. Why are you treating us like this? Yeah. And, um, we said, All right, well, maybe you're right. Bad idea.
1: Yeah. Which is great because people started to question it and say, You guys just want to see if you can do this and that's not good enough. So stop. And then Plowshare as a whole kind of ran into the same type of resistance. So because of all of these worries about fallout, cause here's the problem. If you're the United States government, you can't be like, you gotta be, you really need to fear the Soviets and their nuclear weapons, you know? But yeah try not to worry about the weapons we're actually blowing up in your state. Right. That's that's tough to really spin that in a way where people aren't worried about it. And the public became more and more and more worried about fallout and nuclear testing, and especially these underground ones where they're basically fracking or trying to open yeah. up aquifers and that kind of stuff. They were worried about ground groundwater getting contaminated. And that um, really kind of brought Operation Plowshare front and center in the uh, nascent environmental um, – awareness
0: movement yes Yeah.
1: Um, and then secondly when they figured out there's just way cheaper ways of doing this sure uh, the operation plowster was dead
0: I wonder if they went to their top spin doctor and even that person was like I got nothing for you here oh you know who their top spin doctor would have been at that time in the 70s Edward
1: Bernays the man himself wow yeah man I just got like chills <laughs> You got anything else? No, sir. And that's the end of that chapter. Uh, if you want to know more about Operation Plowshare, just type those words into the search bar at howstuffworks.com, and uh, that will bring up this article. And since I said uh, Plowshare, it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, I'm going to read a quickie, uh, and then a, and then a real one. But we the gauntlet has been laid down. We got a message from uh, John Hodgman. Oh yes, He listened to our nostalgia episode.
1: Yeah, I never thought he'd listen.
0: And I said, uh, I think we both offered him a chance to rebut. We we're like, you know, it's not cool just to slam your theory um, without you being in the room.
1: I thought it was perfectly cool. <laughs>
0: it's like, but you can, you know, if you want to write a listener mail for us, uh, we'll read it. Oh, man, the indignancy. Oh, man. So he, he sent this in. That guy gets set off like <laughs> at the drop of a hat. Life was so much better before you trash me in my nostalgia theory all over your podcast. You can't pull that and then get me to write something for you for free. I love that for free thing. (laughs) Call me up and I'll discuss it with you dudes, or else let's talk about it on stage when you're in Brooklyn, because we're going to be in Brooklyn this June for two shows at the Bell House. Either way, I demand a special episode. Looking forward to your reply in the future. That is all. So uh, we're going to have John on uh, via Comlink. Yeah. And he'll probably rush the stage in New York, I assume.
1: I sincerely hope not.
0: <laughs> but we're going to have him on soon to officially rebut via phone. I'm excited about this, Chuck. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's gonna, Oh, it's going to be great. All right, so here's the real listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, the gender pay gap uh, episode. And there's going to be a couple of these over the next couple of weeks because it generated a lot of uh, mail. Right? Yes. A lot of email. Uh, let's, uh, just listen to the gender pay gap, guys. I'd like to say thank you both. Uh, Chuck said at the end he felt a bit clumsy. Uh, with getting your points across, and I know you may not have meant it this way, but I want to commend you guys for all the times you've handled sensitive topics like champions. Uh, it's apparent we when we handle champions. <laughs> it's apparent when you speak; you're mindful of how your words could be interpreted by others, and uh, it's uplifting to think you guys have young and infesh- uh, impressionable fans in podcast land who've taken notice how you were considerate of other perspectives that are not your own. Um, we try, but we, we goof that up too. So, but I appreciate it. Uh, a little side note, when you were talking about gender-dominated professions, you mentioned that these are jobs that men or women prefer. However, I don't think that the ratio of one gender over another in a profession or industry is indicative only of a preference. Uh, I think it is still the expectation of certain genders having specific jobs uh, that is the stronger determinant of professional choice, uh, profession choice. Imagine if men and women of all races have been given equal opportunity from the get-go Uh, What would be the gender makeup of various industries and positions that are currently dominated by one gender begin to change us. I think it's uh, great importance to instill in young people an understanding that they're not constrained to any set of jobs due to gender. Yeah. Uh, That is from Emily Treen. Emily, that is such a great point. Couldn't agree more. And we got so many emails like that Mm -hmm. about
1: just these little details. Yeah. If you just mention them, it just changes the complexion of everything. It takes this uh, this concept and makes it even more like apparent. Yeah, one thing. I I wish we could go back
0: in time. Well, I sort of do too, but we can do that now Uh, because one thing I wanted to mention was one point I wish I had made was uh, I got a lot of responses, um, mainly from dudes on our Facebook page, saying, "Well, you know, you said it yourself. Men are more apt to ask for raises. Men are more aggressive about negotiating their salary to begin with," Mm -hmm. and I was like fine but like step back and then why is that true right like don't just say well that's the reason yeah like maybe take a a more macro view of that even and say Mm -hmm. well why are they more apt to do that is that part of society and is that systemic right um and i think it is so that's all i have to say about that
1: uh well thanks again emily thank you chuck sure thank you josh thanks and jerry thank you quiet jerry should we go wake Noel up and thank him uh, we'll just leave a note on his head. Um, There's already three notes on his head. So. <laughs> and, I know. One's from like last week. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to make an excellent point or flesh out a point that we made or what have you, we'd love to hear that kind of stuff. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com stuff you should know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.